if there's anything that comes up that you hate or that makes you uncomfortable, I edit these. So I'm more than happy to edit that out. Well, and I am an open book. I might have to ask you about that because that's a superpower. Yeah, no, I'm totally an open book. So like, I have no problem with anything you want to ask me. If you ask me on air, I'll roll with it. Groovy, groovy, groovy. And then I'm just going to start. Let me make sure I'm saying your name right. Giovinco. Oh my God, you really did get it right. (laughs) Yay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's how we say it here in America. I've just Americanized it because everybody, that's how they, they get it. In Italy, they say it Jovinko, but like I've never said it that way. My entire life, I've called it Giovinko, so that's just what it is. What if Dolly Parton wrote us a theme song? Would it sound like this? Would it sound like this? Peace, love, and all that good shit. What if Dolly Parton wrote us a theme song? Would it sound like this? Would it sound like this? Hippie witch. Season six. Woohoo! That was a good one. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 532 of Hippie Witch Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick Ass Switch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name hippie witch, peace, love, and all that good shit. And you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com where you will also find the show notes for this episode, including links to today's guest, Casey Giovinco. I had to play a little clip from our interview at the beginning because right off the bat, I wanted you to hear how fun this interview is. It goes deep, but also... Casey is a fun person, a loving person, and that comes through, and I just wanted you to feel that right away, to sell it, to sell it right away. (laughs) He talks a little bit in this interview about Sybil Leak, who he was deeply influenced by, which I think is lovely, and my favorite thing about this interview, I may have made a little bit of a dork out of myself, which is nothing new. (laughs) Over every time he mentioned his parents, I was like, ah, because he is the rare person who is so grounded in who they are and well-adjusted due to the fact that he had parents who absolutely loved and celebrated and defended who he is since childhood, which is rare for parents who have a gay witchy kid. And I so admire his folks for doing that. And they come up quite a few times in this interview and I just couldn't hold back the all. I I, I wish that for every child. And you know, your parents can love you but their own prejudices, their own fears can get in the way of being the best parent for you. And a lot of people end up in therapy working through that shit for decades. So it's refreshing to talk to someone who life may have given him a hard time, but his parents didn't and he always knew they were in his corner. I feel like that creates a different quality. 
And that's not to say his life has not been as hard as anyone's, if not harder. I will give you a trigger warning here. There is a brief mention of rape. But he doesn't define himself by the hard things that have happened to him. And he's always looking to uplift other people. There's one other thing I wanted to mention really quick before rolling into this interview. And it's kind of a heads up. I was reading an email from Chuck Polinick. He is the author of Fight Club and an extremely interesting dude. I've been following his Substack. And he just did an interview on Joe Rogan's podcast. It looks like it's like a three-hour interview. (laughs) I don't know. I know it's a three-hour podcast and a long interview. And he's kind of giving you a heads up in this email like, oh my gosh, cringe, cringe, just talking about how he already regrets what he said. But then he goes on to say, if I didn't regret many of my comments, I would kick myself for playing things too safe. There is a place for podcast remorse. And I felt that so deeply because I know the podcast remorse. I think if you're just going to have a free-spirited conversation and fly by the seat of your pants and let the moment take you, there's going to be some cringy moments when you listen back and I just want to get out ahead of a potential one here because I know people are sensitive about the term cancel culture. A lot of people that I work with as a coach and in the masterminds that I lead, they're afraid of getting canceled. And these are the most mild, sweet, kind people. You can't imagine why any one of them would be canceled, but this actually is a fear they have that keeps them from putting themselves out there. And I think when I look at kind of cancel culture as a whole, I don't see it harming the people it's intended to harm as much as it is harming people like the ones that I'm talking about. It's creating this barrier. It's creating this fear barrier between dreamers and their dream. It's keeping them from putting themselves out there. So I think it's a worthy topic to discuss. I do think there's a difference between cancel culture and accountability, holding public figures accountable. The problem is that's a nuanced distinction and we don't yet have consensus on where to draw the line between the two. And judging by the way things are going, We may never get anything close to consensus on that. So I think, and this is something that we talk about in the interview. That's why I'm bringing it up here. I think it's up to each one of us to get clear on where that distinction is for us personally, based on our personal values. And then we can decide what, if anything, we're going to do about it. Do we want to hop on that bandwagon? Do we want to sit this one out? I think there's a time for marching in the streets and boycotting big brands. And there's a time for extending a bit of grace to our fellow flawed humans because we are flawed humans ourselves. And I think the main hesitation I have in sharing a podcast where the term cancel culture comes up is that anytime you express concern about this phenomenon, There are people will say, oh, well, then you must be hiding something. If you're afraid of getting canceled, 
then you must have done something wrong. It's a real mind fuck. <laughs> Sorry if your children are listening right now. This maybe isn't a children appropriate podcast. And then just speaking of kids, you know, I wonder what are we modeling for our kids when we go after some content creator who took a different political stance than we hold? I wonder how that's going to show up for our kids on the playground. Like what happens to preteens and teenagers when they start, I'm sure they already do it, like publicly humiliating each other on these platforms and trying to get each other canceled. I guess that ship has already sailed, but speaking of being good parents, maybe this is a thing to talk with your kids. If you are a parent, talk with your kids about and check in with them every once in a while and see how they're doing because it's a whole new world. We live in friends and it's complicated and layered and the best we can do is have these conversations and let them be awkward. We have to keep talking about it or the people who wish to silence us win. I don't know who those people are, but the fear wins. Let's put it that way. The fear wins. And, and winning is another thing that really interests me that came up in the discussion around cancel culture. I always think, look, if you want to win hearts and minds, the absolute worst thing you can do is call someone a dumbass or an idiot or a Nazi because they disagree with you. If you try to shame someone into sharing your opinion, you are definitely doing it wrong. <laughs> you are making an enemy, you're making the divide worse, and you're not gonna get what you want. If what you really want to win is a fair world, a better workplace, a more environmentally friendly such and such, if that's your goal, you're not serving your goal by pushing people away and encouraging them to dig their heels in further, which is what people do. We're humans, this is what we do. <laughs> if you just wanna win Twitter for the day, I mean, yeah, you can get that little ego hit for sure and feel like you won that particular argument, but maybe it's beneficial to step back and look at the bigger picture of what you are participating in and what your actual goal is. And this is very preachy. <laughs> This is very preachy, but also there is an element of arrogance and condescension too when you try to have a conversation with a person and you're like, I'm going to listen to understand because I want to change their mind and convince them that I'm right. The real trick is in being so grounded in your own values and what you know in your heart is right and then meeting someone who is in opposition to that with a willingness to listen, to understand, and maybe even to be changed. That is some Zen Buddhist monk shit. More power to you if you try to go there. I have so much respect for you. I try to go there myself. It's tricky business. I have a big ego. I don't want, I don't want to be wrong, but I am willing to admit when I'm wrong. Sometimes it takes some time. Sometimes it's like a grenade effect. Like somebody will say something to me and I'm like, ooh. I heard that. I heard that. And then like a week later, I'll be in the shower and I'll be like, damn it. They were right. <laughs> it just takes some time to sink in. But I feel like I would be less inclined to do that if someone came at me 
swinging and calling me names and trying to shame me into a corner. So anyway, this is a really great interview with a wonderful, warm person. I'm pretty sure you're going to love it. So without any further ado, here he is, Casey Giovinco. Hi, Casey. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm happy to meet you, Casey Giovinco. I'm happy to meet you. <laughs> well, <laughs> we you were got just, my name right. <laughs> yeah, we were just discussing that, and it's Italian. Mm-hmm. Do you identify as an Italian, or are you just an American with an Italian last name? Oh, gosh. I think it depends. I I identify as Italian when I'm cooking, but I think that's about it. <laughs> I identify as Italian when I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, we all wish we could identify as Italian when we're cooking, I think is what it is. I know. It's amazing. Well, you have a lot going on. So maybe at some point it's going to evolve to include like Italian witchcraft. Have you gotten into that very much? You know, um, I have. I like it a lot. My branch of witchcraft is much more British and like more Wicca, but I've always had a fascination with the rustic Italian stuff, Leland, things even before that. Like I just, there's something beautiful about it, but it's not what I do. Mm, You're so romantic. When I read the opening chapter of your book, Magic from the Mat, and you're like, putting us in the driver's seat and having us imagine that we inherited this old Victorian mansion from our aunt and it's filled with magic. You know, I was like, oh, this is so romantic. And when you just said rustic Italian, I was like, this is who this guy is. Oh yeah. No, I write like I am. Like, it's funny. People are always fascinated when they meet me. They're like, oh my God, you're just like in your books. (laughs) That is a huge compliment. Another thing you you. just said to me is I am an open book, which I I think that's a superpower, especially today. So let's put a pin in that and give you a minute to tell people who you are. And then we we can circle back to how in the heck you got to be an open book and what that means in today's, this, this fear that people have of being canceled and all of that. I think it's just very interesting that you're in that place in your life and we probably can learn from you oh well thank you so you just want me to introduce myself then yeah tell us tell us who you are what you're doing all that good stuff like you said my name's Casey Giovinco I am a author published with Llewellyn I just wrote magic from the map but I have two books prior to that that I self-published because I just felt like the information needed to be out in the general public. And I didn't think I could get them published by anybody else. So I published them myself. Those two books deal with gay witchcraft and the male mysteries and how male mysteries can help gay men reclaim their power. The first So important. So, so, so important. I just want to say that we should just dedicate this whole episode to gay men, because I think you've (laughs) you've contributed something to this community that is significant and needed in that way. Oh, well, I love gay men. I think we're wonderful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But like, there's not enough out there written from different perspectives. And I wanted to write something that would appeal to gay men, but could still be useful to people who didn't self-identify that way. And so I wrote those first two books and then I managed to find an acquisitions editor at Mystic South and we just hit it off and I pitched a book idea to her and she loved it. Mm. So I got kind of lucky how I landed here, but I'm really glad to be here. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then can you tell us a little bit about Gala Witchcraft? This is your own, you're the chief elder of Gala Witchcraft. Yes. So the two books that I wrote, Garbed in Green and A Dangerous Wisdom, actually came out because of Gala Witchcraft. So when I started training with my teacher, I was training in a tradition that we now call Horsa tradition after the Horsa coven that Sibylique ran, because we're in Sibylique's line. Mm. Um, but I had been studying really much more traditional British style witchcraft. And I, I kind of finished my training and all of a sudden all these ideas kept coming to me about the male mysteries and gay men. And, you know, we say the horned God is omnisexual and that he has male lovers, but like, where are they in myth, right? Where mm. are they in the wheel of the year? And so I started to ask my teacher all these questions and he was like, well, that's interesting. You should research that. And that led to one thing led to another. And eventually people started to respond to a blog I was writing at the time. And they asked me to teach them. And a lot of the people who were asking were gay men who were like, oh my God, I've been waiting for something like what you're talking about mm -hmm. for, for decades. And I haven't been able to find it. So it kind of feels like fate pushed me into it and was like, well, here, deal with all these gay men and build a tradition for them. So I kind of worked with my teacher and his husband, and we modified a lot of what I was taught in Horsa to be applicable to gay men without some of the more heteronormative aspects of more traditional styles of witchcraft. And so piece by piece, we looked at everything that we did. We deconstructed it. We understood what was going on about it. We repurposed it and also reframed it for gay men. And then over the last seven or eight years, Gal has grown from being just a teaching coven into an entire tradition. And so, wow. yeah, it's kind of cool. Actually, I'm really proud of that. But like more than anything, what I'm really thrilled about was all these people that I taught and helped to like get to the second degree or high priesthood are now teaching in their own covens and they needed help figuring out, okay, so we're an oathbound tradition. What can I talk about? What can't I talk about? How do I present our magic to the public where I'm not giving away the ghost? And I said, okay, I gotcha. So I wrote Garbed in Green to give my newly made high priesthood a chance to know if it's in this book, you can talk about it. If it's in one of Sybil's books, you can talk about it. If it's in Tarot Star's books, you can talk about it. But if it's not in any of those published sources, maybe you should check with the elders first and see what they're doing with the information before you give it out. And so they were like, oh, that works out really well. So Garbed in Green really was just written as a way to help my high priesthood in developing covens figure out how to connect better with the general public. And then it received such a great reception, I wrote A Dangerous Wisdom to follow it. That is so interesting. And it kind of actually plays a bit with being an open book. How do, yes. you <laughs> how do you practice a craft that is oath-bound and be an open book at the same time? And why oath-bound? This is something I've learned some things about. Initially, I was like, that's bullshit. Like, <laughs> I, really, that was my reaction. And I was very, like, stubborn about that for a very, very long time. And my idea was, at the time, was I'm going to talk about magic and mm -hmm. I'm going to demonstrate how this works and I'm going to connect with people who support the magic I'm doing and people are just being fearful. 
Mm -hmm. And then I found the peanut gallery to be a distraction. <laughs> and then I started thinking, aha, <laughs> this does really actually fuck with your magic in that yeah. one regard. It can. So let's answer your question, right? Like what's, why do I think Oathbound, right? So yes, yes. for me, I'm a cancer son, right? Like we all talk about our astrology sign. So I was born under the sign of cancer, right? And hearth and home are really important to me, but so is like, nostalgic elements of tradition. And I really take a lot of pride in coming from Sybil and from the people who initiated her. And at one point in her career, Sybil said to the witches in her coven, I think we ought to make this information public. I think the world needs to hear about it. And they all voted and she was outvoted. The witches in her coven said, no, this has to stay secret. And they had really valid reasons, which I don't know what they are, but Sybil always respected them. And then Sybil decided, okay, we'll do that. But then I'm going to create this other tradition with these people who I really love. She met Charmaine Day at a Theosophical Society event in Texas, and she helped Charmaine develop her own practice and taught her witchcraft and said, you know, if you can find a space for some of these things that I wasn't, that I really wanted to use, but I didn't know where to put them and Horsa won't let me be public. If you can do that in a tradition that you make available to the general public, that would make me really happy. And so she helped to create a public version of Wicca that didn't break her oaths. And that sacred pentagraph. And she did that with Charmaine Day and Tarot Star. And so when I looked at what Gala was going to do and why we would be oath bound versus not, I wanted to respect my elders and I wanted to respect the lineage that's been passed to me and honor what they wanted since they can't tell me from beyond the grave, right? Like, I don't know what they actually would want today, but I know what they said they wanted in the past. So any information that I got from Horsa or that is Horsa-esque, I keep Oathbound within Gala out of respect. But all the public stuff, I write it in a like sacred pentagraph style or in a way that the sacred pentagraph tradition would be proud of. And then I make that available to the general public. I just recently launched a course on gay witchcraft and doing a year and a day to like decide if Gala is the right place for you or if gay witchcraft's even right for you. And I wrote that entire course in a similar style or vein as Sacred Pentagraph is written. And so to me, that feels like the best of both worlds because I agree with you. Certain things just need to be made public these days. You can't operate like it's 1412 anymore. We live in a digital information age. So ignoring that's not beneficial. But how do you honor the past? and also do that. And so I've had to kind of navigate those two things out of respect for both sides of the lineage. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I listened to an interview you did with, I'm definitely going to mess up his last name, Buck Agrios? Agrio? I know the interview. <laughs> queer Pagan Men Australia. I'm going to link to that because if you're a gay man listening to this right now, I feel like you're going to get a lot out of that interview. It's so well done. Yeah. And I was a little stumped when I was listening to it because I love to ask people about their childhoods and you guys have went into all that. And I was like, ah, he beat me to it. And, uh, but it was so interesting, I think, to hear your relationship with Christianity 
Oh, and yeah. how your mom was flexible. Uh, open That's a good word for that. Yeah, open-minded, <laughs> open-minded enough. I did not grow up in that. So when I hear you say like, respect your elders, my inner teenager just wants to stand up and throw the table across the room. I'm like, no, because I grew up in extreme fundamentalist Christianity that has been in my family for just maybe forever. We don't know when it began, centuries. Yeah. And so I just have a lot of that, that feels repellent to me in a way I've matured since, but okay. when I hear you say it, it sounds like a lovely thing to do, uh, you know, to honor and respect these traditions, the people that created them. Yeah. It was a different time back then. It was very scary. Well, it was scary to be gay and to be a witch. Oh yeah. Do you feel, I don't know if I'm making this up in my head, but I'll ask it anyway. Okay. <laughs> Do you feel like your work that you're doing right now is in some way honoring all of the occultists that were gay or homosexual and that was just a part of their practice, but it, it was one of those things that had to, you know, it's not in the books when you go get the books and it's not in those materials. Is there like an excitement in getting to be out with that and, and really actually create a tradition that includes that? You know, yes. So to answer the first question, I hope so, right? Like I hope that they're proud, right? Like that they, they have mm -hmm. a value in what I'm doing. I'm very fortunate that I've gotten to talk with people like Christopher Penzak, right? Like yeah. I view him to be a wonderful gay elder within Wicca and witchcraft, not Wicca so much, but witchcraft and all of these other branches of magic, right? I love what he's done for the gay community. I love what he's done for paganism and witchcraft. His book, Gay Witchcraft, really influenced me. So hearing that he even knows about my book makes me happy. And mm. having talked with him about it, I'm really grateful that I got that opportunity. I'm really sad that I didn't get an opportunity like that with other famous gay authors. And I, you know, I think it's so sad that we had to be hidden away for so long and that we had to struggle just to be who we are. I'm really grateful that they laid the foundation for the work that I'm able to do. Mm -hmm. I even said that to Christopher, I was like, I would not be able to have written Garbed in Green if you hadn't written Gay Witchcraft. It was so instrumental in my own development. I don't know who I would be if you hadn't done that. Uh, I love that you do that for people too. I hope so. <laughs> I, I'm certain you do. Yeah. That is a wonderful tradition to keep passing, you know, just to keep paying it forward and paying it yeah. forward and you talked about creating garbed in green for the high priests in your tradition. So those people are, you know, now influencing. I just love the way that that keeps evolving and going on. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I do too. <laughs> yeah. I have a friend, Eric Silvermoon. He goes by King of something now, King of Solar. But I vividly remember he was like a part of our girly girl friend group. <laughs> and we just adored him. And his husband is wonderful. And we were hanging out one time and I could see he was sad, like something was bothering him. And he was just like, all this goddess stuff, I don't know, you know, like I'm wondering about my people. And then he found gay men and his entire practice changed and in the entire way he presented himself. And he started really getting into his body. 
And yeah. I'm thinking he probably found your work because <laughs> when I'm looking at your blog and just like a lot of body, which I want to ask you about too. Okay. But I saw him becoming empowered in a different way. He's still Eric. He's still wonderful, but it was a, it was wholeness. I was seeing. Yeah. It was like a, a fuller expression of who he is. And it's really fun to watch. Well, and I actually know who you're talking about because I've seen his Instagram follow my Instagram or I've seen him mm. on a few of the other social media sites. And I, I have seen some of the changes you're talking about with him. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for him. So it makes me really happy to hear that he's going through that journey. Yeah. Because I didn't a, know that piece. Mm, he's wonderful. Yeah. A good, a good, sweet person. So the body piece, I, now I'm jumping forward because I wanted to talk about being, let's talk about being an open book, but also <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. getting ahead of myself. Let's put another pin in it because I'm very interested in the body stuff and, and your new book, Magic from the Mat, which is talking yeah. about, you know, witchcraft and yoga. So it's all super interesting, but just to close the loop that I opened, what's it like to be an open book? How did you get there? And how does that feel in today's climate where people are afraid actually to be their authentic selves, particularly online? Yeah, right. Oh my gosh. I'm going to be honest. I don't know any other way to do it other than what I do, right? Like it, it wasn't so much a conscious choice as it was just like, I don't know how to get away from it. Growing up as a child, I was so gay. Like I opened my mouth and a purse fell out, right? And so <laughs> for my family, I was like the gayest thing since Christmas and there was no hiding it, right? Um, (laughs) I was really ashamed of it for the longest time. And I remember crying to my mom and dad about it and begging for acting classes to fix what I thought was broken. And my dad got really mad and he said, now I'm going to, I'm going to use a few superlatives. So if you got to like beat me out, feel free. Cause it's talking about my dad and he was Italian. So there's (laughs) colorful language, but like, he said, you know, if people don't like you for who you are, fuck them. Because at the end of the day, you've got to be yourself and you're not going to change who you are to make other people more comfortable. So you be you and you let them worry about them. Wow. And then he, and then he de- actively denied me acting classes. He was like, if you want to be an actor at some other point, you can do that, but you're not going to do it just to fix yourself because there's nothing broken in you. Oh my God. I have chills right now, Casey. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this like lineage we're talking about. Like maybe your work wouldn't even be possible without the parents that you, you had and, oh, absolutely. Ha- and how wonderful though, that they, what they empowered you with. Now you get to do that for people whose parents did not respond. To I, that know. <laughs> I mean, they actually, they took a big leap for a lot of people and probably all they were doing was just loving you. But yeah. a lot of people don't get that. And now they're going to get it through your work. Oh, I just love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it breaks my heart when people don't get that love. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's so easy to give. This is one of the reasons I love my tradition so much. Sybil Leak wrote The Complete Art of Witchcraft. And in The Complete Art of Witchcraft, She had a chapter on gay men in the priesthood back in the 70s, and she had tenets. She had eight tenets, one of which was the tenet of tolerance. And she said, this is my personal baggage. Like, I I struggle with this tolerance tenet, but it's an important tenet for a witch to understand because 
you need to be able to meet people where they're at. You need to accept them for who they are. And you need to help them by not being in their way. If you can do nothing else, simply not being in their way of their own success is a wonderful act of tolerance. And then to take it above and beyond that, she had a tenant of love. And having grown up with a mom and dad who were very, very open about, look, you are who you are, it is what it is. And we love you no matter what. The tenant of love has always been something really interesting to me when it's linked up with witchcraft, because I think it does more healing of all the various types of damage and broken and sad and whatever else you want to add into the, the mix. I think it does more healing on that front than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to say this in the wrong way, but I was going to say even, <laughs> even Alistair Crowley understood that. And I say even because. Yeah. I feel like, you know, he addiction kind of tainted his work in some degree, but he understood like addiction doesn't mean you don't understand all of these right. concepts or even that you can teach them and people will still be rocking out on it, you know, <laughs> decades yeah. and decades later. But that is a really important thing for people to understand. And again, just the climate that we're living in right now, maybe more than ever, at least in our lifetimes. I think so. Like that was the, that's the piece of the question you asked that I want to kind of circle back around to. It's the inauthenticity of being online, right? Mm -hmm. And my career actually came from the fact that I was able to self-publish through Amazon. So like I am a product of this online era, but I've always, I've really had a struggle with cancellation culture because it's like, I don't have to agree with you to accept that you're entitled to feel the way you feel or to express that opinion. Because even though it's hard for me to hear an opinion that you have that maybe should be canceled, what are you going through in your life that made you have to confront that, right? That's where my tenant of tolerance comes back in. And so I've had to ask myself similar questions about my own opinions, right? Like, I don't know everything, I'm willing to admit 10 years from now, I'm going to probably feel drastically different than I do now. In fact, I even write that in Garbage and Green. Like I'm open to being wrong. I'm open to changing. But if I'm always waiting for the perfect way to say it, I'm never going to say anything. Yes. If I'm always trying not to hurt anybody or be hurt by somebody, nothing's ever going to get done. And that doesn't mean go out and be mean to people, but it means like, and it harm none, right? So if you're not hurting you and you're not hurting anybody else, why do I actually have to care? I'm a Libra. I'm such a Libra. It's disgusting. <laughs> like, the full cliche. I'm all, I'm the person that's like, can't we all get along? And Aww. I always think, well, the minute you cancel someone or you call them a Nazi or whatever, you're ending that conversation. Yeah. And you're pushing them further into their ideology. And then yeah. there is there is no solution. So you don't have to like someone to understand them and listen to them. If you can't understand, you can't be part of that solution. And so that's kind of always my take on it. I love that take on it. And honestly, the wisdom behind that is genius because... I think more often than not, when people say things that are problematic for me, right? Like whatever it is that they're saying, what they're really doing is trying to find a space where they're not being erased themselves. 
And so if I shut them down, now what I've done is added anger and frustration and shame and guilt to fear. That's not going to help them get out of that situation. I, maybe I do believe they absolutely need to change their opinion. But like you said, if I label them against their will, something that's really, truly damaging, and I cancel that person in my life, what have I done to help them get out of that situation? What have I done to get my agenda met, right? Like I want a world that's much more liberal. I want a world that's much more open and free and where people get to be who they are without feeling bad about themselves. What have I done to help that cause? And what have I done to stand in its way? Yeah, yeah. I think as a leader, it's great that you understand that because what I know from putting myself out there publicly for a decade more <laughs> on the internet is people will watch and lurk for a very long time before they'll work up the courage sometimes to be like, yeah. I'm so afraid my family doesn't understand, but I like what you're saying. And if, if they don't feel safe coming to you, you're ending that conversation too. If you're publicly denouncing this whole group of people, the people that are kind of on the fence and like, wow, what you're saying is kind of interesting. You close them off too. You do. Yeah. So you're very wise, sir. And I'm pretty sure this has something to do with yoga as well. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Again, like I just, I've lived my life just being me. So I hope there's wisdom in it. I'm waiting for this, this yoga piece to come. <laughs> you want the yoga piece? So no uh, yoga has been, no wisdom has been gleaned from the yoga. That's not true. Okay. So I came to yoga because I was a wrestler. Oh. So in high school, I wanted to wrestle and I didn't really want to wrestle. I was forced to wrestle. So the story goes, I went to gym class. And I excelled at the presidential fitness testing. Like I blew all of the metrics out of the water. Wow. And my gym teacher, I went to a very small private school. I graduated with 18 kids in my graduating class. There were probably 300 kids kindergarten through 12th grade. Wow. And I mean, that sounds really privileged. But one of the things you have to know about me is I went to that school because I was gay bashed at public school. I was pushed downstairs. I was beat up. I was hung on a fence on my walk home from school. Like it was a very traumatic period of my life. And my parents moved me to private school for my mental health and my physical safety. So I really wasn't very confident in my body or in my social status or any of those other things as a child. I was very awkward and I was very afraid of being picked on for being gay. In fact, it really caused a lot of depression. It made me suicidal at a few points in my life where I would have rather been dead than have to go through some of those things. Now, I never attempted anything like that, but I really grappled with some of those concerns. So when I got to my private school or my, my high school, I was really surprised that I was as good at physical fitness as I was. I was surprised that compared to other people, my metrics were in this one category versus another. And I really thought that I was gonna be like the last person to climb the rope or the last person to be able to do the most amount of pull-ups or whatever it was, right? Well, when so, you open your mouth and a purse falls out, I feel like that's the cliche. And the lesson there is gay people come in all shapes and sizes and talents. 
yeah and like I really had to struggle to be okay with that like I was a special ed child I'm probably dating myself now claiming that particular category but like when I was younger I was diagnosed with maturation delay or a failure to mature to appropriate standards so my body has always been something that's been an awkward relationship for me so to find out at that point in time oh wow I'm actually pretty good at using it this way let me see what I can do I finished my pull-ups I finished my VC reach I finished all the stretching stuff and the running and my gym teacher came up to me and she said I'm going to talk to the wrestling coach about you joining wrestling because I think you should do it. I said, I really, really, really would prefer you not do that. Like, I'm not prepared. Mm. And she said, well, I'm doing it because the wrestling team needs new people on it and you're good. I was like, oh, okay. So I'm like walking down the halls, minding my own business. And of course, the guy I have a crush on right? Like that I've never told anybody I have a crush on. Of course, the guy I have a crush on comes up to me and he's like, so I hear you want to do wrestling. I'm like, well, you heard wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And so we got to talking as he like pushed me up against a locker and he was like, well, you're coming to wrestling. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he goes, and if I don't see you at wrestling, I'm going to come find you. So I went to my first wrestling practice for fear of my life. And I found out I was really kind of good at that too. And I really enjoyed doing it. Plus I got to be in close quarters with him, which was my only way to get any kind of physical touch from him that wouldn't put me in danger. Mm -hmm. And so there may have been an element of like my, my crush was paying attention to me in the beginning that got me through the hurdles of the period of learning where you're not quite as good as you want to be. And then over the years, I became captain of the wrestling team. I started to win matches and trophies and other things, and I was really enjoying it. But I really attribute my success at wrestling to my mother because she looked at me when I came home and said, I'm going to do wrestling. And she said, no, you're not. I said, well, I really want to, and I think it would be good for me. Here's why. I need a group of friends. I need people who think well of me and I need to feel good about being physical again. So I'd really like to do it. And she said, okay, I'll make you a deal. You can wrestle, but you are never allowed to drop weight. Mm. If you're going to lose weight, you have to do it on a planned course over an off season. It is not going to be drop weight to make a weight class. I said, okay. She said, well, and I have one more condition. I said, okay, what is it? She said, I want you to do yoga. So I went and I signed up for my first yoga class and I was doing wrestling and yoga. And I, I fell in love with both. Oh my God. I'm so ready to have the hippie, witch geo vinko family hour. I'm so curious about your parents. They (laughs) They gave you some pretty cool tools for life. I'm very lucky. I have never denied that. I'm very lucky. My mom is a godsend and my father had a heart of gold. Oh, okay. I interrupted your story, but I'm just loving every time you mention your parents, I'm just like, oh, 
<laughs> no, no, no. But I learned a lot about moderation. I learned a lot about self-control. I learned a lot about confidence from yoga. Quite frankly, Magic from the Mat came out because all the things I was learning in Horsa, I was also looking at through my yoga training and going, wait a minute, I already know that. I've already done that. Oh, that's how you want. Oh, I got this. Chakras on that. Right. And so I had already had an, a, a predisposition to these things because of my yoga training. I had already done yoga certifications. I was in the middle of an RYT 200. I'd already done all of these things. And I had a framework in yoga. And I was like, that's fascinating. So when my, when my witch teachers were saying things like in theosophy XYZ, or we're talking about the vital body here, I already knew from like the source texts where the theosophists we were connected to were calling things from. Mm, that is so interesting. You know how I can relate to this. You were saying you wanted acting classes. I studied method acting when I was young. And then mm. when I encountered witchcraft, I was like, oh, this is the same thing. <laughs> I was like, yes. uh, because, because acting <laughs> teachers taught me meditation and all of these different ways to create, well, active imagination, altered states of consciousness, private moments, all this stuff was so applicable then later on when I was learning witchcraft. And then I also studied, you know, Buddhism and yoga. I was just a seeker. Mm -hmm. And what's different though, is that you embraced witchcraft and the tradition of it. Whereas I did not, I'm, I'm very much just a magpie about things. And I know that irritates some people, but that's who I am. That's how I roll. I'm curious to know how the other half lives. Like, why did you gravitate then to not only like Wicca witchcraft, but also then going on to form your own tradition? Oh God. Okay. Uh, do you understand what I'm asking? Like no, I why do. <laughs> you already had these tools. So why then go there? Right. Okay. So I love the magpie thing, right? Like I wish more people who were eclectic would embrace that magpie thing because it's actually very quite traditional in its own way. Even witches in my line will call themselves magpies. Like we, we pick and choose and we take from different places and different things interest me than interest somebody else in the tradition. And we kind of build our own unique magical practices. My teacher was famous for saying, the tradition gives you the basement. How you construct the house is up to you. Oh. So I, I, I came from a really open-minded tradition and I got as lucky in my witchcraft tradition as I did in my parents, right? Okay. So I, I came from a tradition that was very accepting. We have standards, we have structure, but within that, you can accomplish all those things in as many different ways as there are people to do them. There's no like cookie cutter horse witch or cookie cutter sacred pea witch. And I really wanted that for Gala too. The reason I really thought Gala needed to be built or created was because I, as much as I love Horsa and as much as I love what I come from, I am aware that gay men need to be made to feel like the person being talked to. It's brutal to be made other in your own life. And just to and, learn to be a contortionist, to constantly fit yourself into a straight yeah. narrative. You know, I think 
kind of going back to my friend Eric, I think that was his experience with the goddess. He loved the goddess, but when he found the god, it was like electric, you know? (laughs) Yes, I know exactly, because it happened to me in the same way. What's important is everybody needs to be able to see themselves in the divine. Mm -hmm. And so when I looked at what I loved about Horsa and what I loved about Sacred Pentagraph, I had to realize they were perfect for me but they might not be perfect for every gay man who walks the same path I'm walking. Same with Gala, Gala's perfect for me and it's perfect for the guys who do it, but it may not be every gay man's cup of tea. And so I wanted something that would let people really understand what we were doing and still kind of fit that magpie quality that you're talking about. In Gala, we have this concept called the hedge witch where every gala witch who is initiated into the tradition is also a hedge witch. And so you have your own personal practice and then you have the tradition. And we actively encourage the personal practice to be built upon the tradition, but to be unique from it. Hmm. And so there were a lot of things that I really wanted to do that starting this tradition with these guys who came to me asking for teaching and not wanting something heteronormative in their education, there were a lot of things that I got to do that I never even expected I would want to do. And then there were a lot of things that were my personal cup of tea that they bought into. And I was like, okay, let's use it. So I never set out to build a tradition. Like that was never my goal. I really was very happy in Horsa and Sacred Pea and in the coven where I was, you know, educated into witchcraft and initiated into witchcraft. I had no desire to go outside it, but I just kept having people knock on my door wanting connection, mm-hmm. wanting to know more. And that cancer heart in me, I was like, oh my God, okay, I, I, I can't turn this one away. Oh, okay, this one's so sweet. Let me train him too. <laughs> and eventually I wound up with like a gaggle. <laughs> Aww, what's your moon? Oh, so my moon is a Leo moon. I knew it. Oh, I would have been so cool if I would have said that first before I asked you. <laughs> well, I should have said, what do you think it is? <laughs> I, I would have said Leo. I would have, because I was like, for sure that's going on somehow, some way. You keep saying you're a cancer, but there's something so confident and sunny about you so that I've been through a lot if you've read Garbed in Green or you've seen any of my other interviews I've been through a lot like the gay community and I have a really bittersweet relationship from my past some of it's my own baggage that I brought to the situation and some of it is what is really truly I think damaging in the gay community that I happen to run into but it was either put these precepts and tenets that are part of my training in witchcraft to work or really kind of suffer the consequences. Not to be a huge downer here, and for the record, this is no longer something that I struggle with, but I've been raped twice by the gay community. I was drugged one night at a bar and taken out of the place where I had positioned myself, and I woke up in a completely different environment. And that kind of situation happened to me twice. I really struggled with it for the longest time. And the reason a heteronormative tradition was good for me was because it was safe. Mm -hmm. I had women protecting me. I had people 
who loved me without me having to be sexual for them or to do these other things that I really wasn't comfortable doing. And they were really understanding of the trauma I had been through. And step by step by step, they helped me navigate my own way out of that using the precepts that Sybil and Tarot Star and Charmaine Day wrote, using the tenets that Sybil put into place. And just kind of like being there, loving me and supporting me as I went through my own struggle with some of those things. And in a way, Gala helped me out of that too. Yeah, I think a lot of gay men and women, we form bonds because we have that in common. Mm -hmm. And it is a relief to be with somebody of the opposite sex without any sexual connotation. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) just, it's freedom. It's freedom. That's, you know, and comfort. And then you get to establish a more authentic connection. It's what worked for me. And I'll be honest, had I tried to do gala first, like had I not worked with my teacher to develop this tradition, had I tried to do gala and I've been one of the witches who got initiated, it would not have worked for me personally. I was just so upset with gay men. I was ashamed of who I was. And it, like so much of what had happened really put a very negative taste in my mouth. I understand. Um, yeah. I I'm so glad you're sharing this. This is really important. Oh, well, thank you. No, I'm, I'm more than happy to share it. I think, like I said, open book. I think one of the biggest problems we have is there's so much judgment, right? And people who go through things hide it because they don't want to be judged or they don't want to be made to look bad. But by first sharing it, you relieve yourself of the burden. And second, you help somebody else who may not be ready to take on that particular hurdle, Mm -hmm. but they still need to hear it. And you also prevent someone else from falling into that situation. Do you know what I mean? Like a really young man who is at the beginning of their journey. I do. That's the part that makes me happiest, right? Like when, when people come to gala, when gay men come to gala and they're like, oh my God, thank you for not making this a sexual thing. Thank you for not making this into, I had to be beautiful or I had to be this. A lot of times they cry because it's the first time they're feeling like they're being seen outside of how beautiful their body is. Oh, I know it breaks oh. my heart. <laughs> oh, okay. So I can see the clock ticking and I know we have limited time, but this is the perfect way to then segue over to the body talk. So let's do it. Yes, because I can relate. And you are a muscle man. You got the muscles. <laughs> you like to talk about it. And I find once you develop a practice, it could be a spiritual practice. It could be a witchcraft practice. You start to understand the value and discipline and just having a practice. You see the ways it empowers you. And I think it can really encourage you then to be open to then maybe having a bodybuilding practice or a yoga Mm -hmm. practice. And you can kind of stack them a little bit and they they inform each other. What has your experience been? It's actually been that. So for me, the body practice came first, right? Like I was, a, I was a yoga student. I was a wrestler. I worked out at the gym pretty much every day from like 12 until, you know, now. And I love the gym. The gym is my happy place, right? Like I go there because it releases my stress. But I also go there because it helps me to navigate 
what I want my body to be and, and not to look at it harshly, but to look at it as a process, right? Like I'm not gonna be a bodybuilder tomorrow, but if that's my goal, systematically step-by-step-by-step, by step by step, if I do X and then I do Y, I can incrementally get towards that goal. And if it's no longer a goal, I can change goals and do a whole different style of working out. So for me, where it started to link up with witchcraft again was in the seven principles of man or the seven principles of people, right? We'll update their theory of the theosophists. And they talked about the importance of these seven bodies that people have, your physical body, your vital body, right? Like they talked about all these bodies and they said, you know, humanity operates on seven planes of existence. So to ignore any one of those planes leaves you unfulfilled. And when I looked at witchcraft and I was comparing it to what the theosophists were saying, I was like, you know, they're right. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to be a witch and I'm going to say I, I have a reverence for nature, that has to include my body. Yeah. And so if I take my body and I use it like a lump of clay and I work at it like an artist, then it doesn't matter what it becomes as long as I'm happy with it. And as long as I can use it appropriately without shame or guilt or fear, and I can put it to work for the betterment of my magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me, one of the appeals of magic is self-creation and saying, well, I don't believe that I can create my life, create my reality. I believe I co-create it, but but there's a lot to be done in that co in oh, my yes. in my part of it. So that's exciting to me. I think that's probably at the heart of what I was drawn to magic for, although it then became like a love of nature kind of thing. But it was really that idea of self-creation. And that is actually why I also, when I was a teenager, got interested in bodybuilding because I was constantly teased for being skinny. And I realized the power in creating your body and the way all these benefits come out of it. Even if you start it from a place of, I don't want to be teased for being skinny anymore. Yeah. It empowers you in much bigger ways. Well, can I, can I hit on that? Cause I don't want to be read wrong. And I'm, I'm afraid that like some people listening to this are going to think I'm just like a gym rat meathead. Uh, that's not, they are not going to think that Casey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to make sure we say that clearly, right? I am very, very body positive And I, I don't believe you have to look any specific way, but I do believe that your body is this wonderful, beautiful work of art and that you get to design that work of art according to the dictates of your spirit, right? Mm -hmm. Don't don't worry about what fashion says is hot or what the muscle magazines or the fashion magazines are doing. Nobody looks like that, right? Like even I don't look like that. Like my Instagram, and I get so upset with it, right? My Instagram, it's like, that's a really good angle. That's really good lighting. This is really good, this. It's a moment in time. I was really happy when somebody took that shot. Same thing with these models and these actors and all these other people who are on stage. Like human bodies are normal, right? Like there's no reason to beat yourself up because of how you look. The question that comes for me is, are you happy 
innately with your own body. And if you are, take my dad's advice and fuck everybody who doesn't listen to you, right? If you're not, co-create that any way you want, right? Yeah. But like, for me, that's the important piece of this. It's not go to the gym because I say so, or, or because you feel you ought to, or that's the way that like Casey said in Magic from the Mat XYZ, none of that matters. Go to the gym if you like the gym. If you don't like the gym, go for a hike. If you don't like doing that, do what you love. But I think it's important that all of us, especially witches, be really comfortable in the vehicle we go through this lifetime in. And on the physical plane, that's the physical body. It's as much a part of your practice as you're willing to let it be. But if you open up your practice to it, you get exponential benefits. One of the things that I have really struggled with is like women don't want to weight lift a lot of the times because they're afraid of getting bulky. What I've had to say to clients when I was doing personal training at a gym is Marilyn Monroe lifted weights three times a week. Her voluptuous figure, her feminine figure was designed by her weightlifting program. Mm-hmm. she was a size 16 she's not a size two and she's still gorgeous and she's still beautiful and she's still all of those things so like the struggle that I had when I was writing magic from the mat was I don't want people to feel like I'm saying the only way to do this is to fit this mold it's a way it's not it's the, way. the way it's a way it's a way yeah well let's let's dig into that here we have a few minutes left magic from the mat who is this for so this is for anybody who wants to make their magic a little bit more potent because it's going to come from the the power is going to come from learning how your physical body works and where the kundalini is rising from and how to navigate that The psychic stuff comes from a study of Hindu and Vedic cultures. It comes from the practices that are talked about through a systematic process handed down yogi to yogi to yogi, right? But it's going to teach you different ways to approach things you already know, right? Like the chakras. And it answers questions that very few other things answer by combining yoga and witchcraft as a personal practice. There are things that yoga has answers for that witches are still boggled by. And there are things that witches have answers for that yogis won't even consider. And yet by looking at both of these together, anybody doing either practice will find their personal journey enriched. Yes. I love something you say in the book about yoga is a whole practice unto itself it is complete so is witchcraft and this is not a blend of the two it's these two I think you called them sisters they're like complementary to each other yeah they work together right like I I think that a witch who does yoga is going to find his his her their witchcraft better I think that a yogi who does witchcraft is going to find the same thing I know plenty of witches who love yoga, so I'm sure that they're going to enjoy checking out your book. How, how can they find you if they're just listening? And I'm going to link to everything, but if they're just on the go, 
what URL do you want them to remember or Instagram or where's the best way to find you? So my name is hard, so we won't use my website, but you can get to my website by using my name, right? KCGavinko.com. But the easy way to find me is on Instagram and just at the gala witch. The gala witch. Yep. Okay. So I always end these things with the same question, which is what is one tip not the tip, but a tip. What is one tip you have for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Oh, okay. A tip for creating your kick-ass life. Ditch the fear. Did I lose you? No, no, I'm just being quiet. I thought that was it. I thought there was more to come. <laughs> oh no, I think it's that simple, right? Ditch yes. your fear. Whatever your fear is, ditch the fear. If How you do you do that? It. How do you do that? Okay, here we go. Two more hours into this interview. How does one ditch fear? What resource can you give us, Casey? Okay. First thing I want you to remember, and we're going to quote Discworld, right? Okay. The witch is the baddest thing in the woods. Hmm. If you're afraid of a shadow, recognize you're better than that. You are the thing the shadow's afraid of. Oh, I just love the implications of that for shadow work. <laughs> exactly. Ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to remember that. Let your fear go. Are you going to be afraid? Yes, that's okay. You're human, right? But ditch the fear. Let yourself feel it. Don't push it down. Don't deny it. Embrace it. Acknowledge it. Don't run from it. That's like a rabid dog, right? Don't run from it. It's only going to attack. Face it. Address it. And then let it go. And that may take you decades. But if you want that kick-ass life, face it, address it, let it go, and then get your kick-ass life. Oh, I love that. The best I have been able to do is... I can be like, fine, you get to come along for the ride, but you're not the driver. You just sit there. Don't be a backseat driver either. I don't want to hear from you. <laughs> I love that though. That's part of the journey, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's the facing sure. it. Yeah. Just, you have to acknowledge it or it just turns into a monster. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was absolutely fabulous. I hope everyone will go check out Magic from the Mat. And that any gay man listening right now goes running over to find out what, what is this gala witchcraft business. And again, I am going to link to that interview that you did on Queer Pagan Men Australia's YouTube channel because it's great. You both are so wonderful in that video. So I love that interview. It's a good one. Yeah, that was great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you loved that interview as much as I loved that interview. And if you did, maybe go check out The Gala Witch on Instagram or one of Casey's books, Garbed in Green or Magic for the Mat. I actually thought this would be the podcast episode in which I finally broke the seal on the great monetization of the podcast. <laughs> I'm really just looking to slowly take baby steps toward elevating the sound quality. I would like to start building a team next year for the podcast. And I'm just dipping my toe into partnerships and sponsorships to promote things I love 
and get paid for the work I do at the same time. But I want to do it right. And I'm waiting, 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 waiting for approval on my first partnership. And it's taking longer than expected, which actually should be expected because everything takes longer than I expect. So if I could just get it into my head to like triple the time I think it will take to get a thing done, I will never have to say it's taking longer than I thought again. I hope you all have a very happy Halloween, a blessed Samhain, Blessed Beltane, until we meet again, much love to you. Peace. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.